So at the, the morning conference, um, I just talked about kind of the big, big, big picture because, you know, you can meditate on any part of Scripture. You can pray with any part of Scripture, you know, even without knowing all the background of it or even any background, right? I mean, there's probably certain points where you're like, I could be a total atheist and still understand the poetry of a line of the Psalms or understand the, the ideas in a, in a you know, line of the prophets or whatever. Um, but the more we understand the big picture, the more we can understand the individual situations, the more we can appreciate any insight or anything um, that comes up, comes up along the way. And uh, it's, it's funny, you know, I've, I mentioned that uh, back when I was a little first grader, my grandma for Easter, you know, got me the, got me the action, or the picture Bible, got me the one that has the kind of 1980s Farrah Fawcett hairdos and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, what's fascinating is that uh, there are things that were in here that aren't explained, but then uh, the action Bible was basically the same, but there's slight differences. They actually do explain a couple little things that as a kid, my eye caught, um, but I didn't know what they meant. And there's the one that I always specifically think about is, uh, you probably can't see it, but over here by my right finger, um, when Jacob is about to die in the Bible, in all Bibles, and when Jacob's about to die, he says to Joseph, bring me your son. So they're in Egypt all 12 brothers are down in Egypt. Jacob's about to die. Joseph is told to bring his two, his two sons in. And if you, if you can see the picture, you can always look it up later. It's page 110. That's easy to remember. If you look it up later, he's doing this weird blessing. And it's in this one, but it's not explained at all in the, in the, in the old one. He's doing this blessing where his hands are crossed like this on, on the, both their heads. He's in bed and the two hands are crossed. So I read that as a first grader, second grader, third grader. Saw the picture and thought... Boy, that must be a little special Jewish blessing, right? You know, the, the arms crossed there and stuff. Turns out that the illustrator actually knew as much or more about the scriptural story as the author did. Because by the time you get to the new updated one, it actually explains what's going on there. And it says it out there aloud for the kids, which I think is cheating because I didn't get to know. I didn't know until I was in my 20s and in the seminary and reading actually the straight Bible, the normal Bible on that, and learning that that was an intentional move by Jacob. Joseph had brought in his sons, and normally he'd put the oldest one on the right and the younger one on the left, and blessed like that. And Joseph had taken his own decision, or, or Jacob, and blessed them oppositely, right? And, uh, and that is fascinating because it, when you read it there, you, it's the third time that God chooses a second son over a first, right? We make this big, 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 big deal about firstborn sons, right? And then, well, Ishmael comes before Isaac, Esau comes before Jacob, and then Judah's the fourth of the 12 brothers, right? And even if you follow Joseph, he's the firstborn of the second wife, so that doesn't account. And then here you are with, with Joseph, and he switches and gives the right-hand blessing to the left-hand kid, and vice versa, right? Which is actually a thing that the church fathers reflect on a ton. The idea that, like, there's kind of an order of nature and an order of grace, an order of how things ought to be, and an order of election, and that's a big word that follows through with, uh, in the church fathers and the saints and stuff like that. Like the, the kind of, God can do what he wants, right? He can elect in his own way. And, that, and it's fascinating that, like, again, I knew the image from the time I was six years old, right? But I never knew what it meant until I was in my, until I was in my 20s. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, now I can meditate on that. The idea that God chooses sometimes who you wouldn't expect. God chooses paths that you don't see coming. God doesn't always pick the 
the number one kid, I think of like David's story, he sometimes picks the least expected kid. And that's this, this whole long meditation uh, in the church fathers of God's divine election in that way. And like I said, it's kind of cheating because now in the new book it just tells you what's going on there, that he switched hands and did that. But either way, I think whether you had this one or that one, it's the kind of thing that gives a person fodder for meditation. A person can come across that and think and pray and meditate on that little nugget. Why did God choose me and not my sibling? Why did God, you know, do things this way and not that way? Why did things work out like this? There's a meditation in there, but it comes from knowing the story. And the better we know the story, the better, right? And so that's why we recommend things like start with the Action Bible, if that's what gets you to know the story. Start with the Jeff Caven's 14 books, if that's what gets you to know the story. And then start diving in on your own, but get to know the story so then you can really appreciate what's in there. So that's me connecting back to the, to the previous conference. But now let's talk about how do I actually do a meditation when I have a piece of scripture, right? When I'm actually looking at it, you know, at a certain point, you know, what do I actually do? Now, there's lots of different things of this in the church um, tradition, right? You can find what they call Lexio Divina, literally divine reading, all the way back in, in uh, the early desert fathers in like the 200s, 300s, and 400s of the Catholic Church. Um, you can find it being picked up by, uh, you know, the Irish monastic tradition, and you see other people picking it up, and it becomes a, a normal thing of reading the scriptures in a way to help us have this divine connection and then be able to meditate. Um, and then you see it get changed as time goes on. Ignatius of Loyola picks it up and really works it into his spiritual exercises and stuff like that. So I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of different approaches, but they're all not that different. There's a lot of different words, and sometimes they seem to be conflicting, so don't worry about the words. Understand the, the, what the topic is. Um, and everyone's going to do it differently, right? Uh, <laughs> I was looking through a... Um, uh, it was like wine for dummies book, right? And like, you know, it's got, you know, it, it, the first rule of like how to select a wine for a meal is choose what you like. It wasn't red goes with beef and white goes with chicken and fish. It was choose what you like. And then you can start looking at other stuff. We can recommend this in the other thing, but it says do the one that works for you. As, or as a priest said in the seminary, pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray as you can, not as you can't. And you can take that apply that to a whole lot of things. Work as you can, not as you can't, right? Clean as you can, not as you can't, right? Um, but it's a great idea that, like, I might want to pray in this way. I wish I could reach the, the you know, the, the levels of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila and stuff like that. But I'm not there, right? So pray as you can, not as you can't, right? If you can give ten, God 10 good minutes of focus... Um, but you can't hope to give him 60 minutes of, of a holy hour. Pray as you can, not as you can't, right? Pretty, pretty straightforward, but we always think, like, I need to do it this way. I need to pray in this form or whatever. So with that as a, as a caveat, let's talk about uh, how we do this. I'm going to steal um, two words that uh, Ignatius of Loyola uses, even though they are totally differently used in the tradition. Um, in the tradition, we say meditate. That means to take something, either scripture or an experience, or just thoughts in my mind, and I think, and I uh, ruminate, as we talked earlier, I think cows chewing their cut, I ruminate 
uh, on that thing, and I get stuff out of it. I, I, I process it with my mind. That produces feelings. That produces conclusions. That produces insight. And the, the tradition calls that meditation. And then we have another word called contemplation. Contemplation is not an intentional mental thing. It's actually a gift from God that he lets you simply rest in his presence and contemplate the Lord, but without having to do intentional mental discourse. You don't have to choose to think on something, chew on something, generate thoughts and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a prayer of, of just watching, waiting, and letting the Lord speak to you. Uh, the, the saints will talk about it as like, you know, in the beginning, it's like you're going to the well and picking up water and bringing it and pouring it on your crops, right? Uh, and then you do that and you get more efficient. Maybe you even set up a, an irrigation system, you know, but it's just better and better ways of thinking. But when God gives you the gift of contemplation, that's like just the rain coming down. You don't have to do anything. He just gives you what you need, the grace and stuff like that. And, and different people have different takes on, you know, is that possible for everybody? Some people say yes, some people say good luck. But having said that, Ignatius uses the words to describe basically what we would call two kinds of meditating, and I'm going to talk about those. So when he says meditation, he means take a scene, read through it once at a normal pace, maybe even slow, then read through it again, picking things out, things that let you generate a picture Put yourself in the picture. You've probably heard this like this. Pick a scene. Put yourself in the scene. What's it look like? What's it smell like? What's going on? How does Zacchaeus sound? How does the townspeople sound? All those sort of things of, of putting yourself in the scene. What would it be like when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples? What would it be like when, when David's brothers are saying, you can't fight Goliath. There's no way. You don't stand a chance, right? You put yourself in the scene. That's how Ignatius uses the idea of, of meditation. And that's a very fruitful thing. A lot of people get a lot out of that. Um, being able to, to just kind of let their imagination lead them through the scene. And like I said, sometimes it's, it is just your imagination. Like when you're trying to imagine, like, what was it like for Simon after the day he carried the cross? What was it like for Rufus and Alexander having their dad be like, the last person who touched Jesus who didn't hate him, right? Like, like you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting meditation. And there's no right or wrong. If you come up with some conclusions in your, in your thoughts, it's not like, well, that's not scriptural. That's not the point. The point is you are letting the Holy Spirit guide you in things more than scripture, but coming from scripture. But what do you do when you've got a scripture passage that doesn't allow you to put yourself in it, right? You can read pages of Paul, and there are no mental images coming up right? It's just Paul explaining stuff, right? You can read a psalm and be like, okay, I can picture that the person is suffering, the person is happy or whatever, but it's hard for me to picture myself in a scene, right? You read the prophets, same sort of thing, right? So some, some books make themselves more able to do that. What do I do if I encounter that other kind, the kind that I can't make a scene and put myself in it? This is what Ignatius calls contemplation. It's different than what the rest of the tradition might call contemplation, including his fellow Spaniards from the 1600s, uh, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. But they can fight that out in heaven. Um, but like when you come across, I'm just going to kind of grab a passage at random here. Let's grab some Paul here. Um, that would be weird if we meditate on that one. I'm not doing that one. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was Paul on sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians. Like, let, let's not meditate on that. that let's not do that. Um, we don't want to hear about the man who's sleeping with his mother-in-law or whatever. Um, okay, so take uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Just open up here. All right. So you've got this section. It's, it's, a, it's a chunk of text. 
So you could read it through one time at a normal pace just to so you can see the big picture. And then you read it a second time. And I'm going to go ahead and treat that. He says, you were dead. And you repeat that yourself. You were dead. You. You. You were dead. Death. You were dead. And as you're doing that, you're thinking and you're letting these words hit you, right? You're reading through them slowly, not trying to solve them the way you might have been doing in a close reading of Scripture, but more letting them hit you, right? And sometimes a single word, like dead, you could say that a thousand times in your head. You don't have to say it each time. I'm making it out loud so you can tell what I'm doing here. But if, as you think on that, think about, like, I was dead. What is that like? Dead how? Spiritually dead, emotionally dead, dead because I didn't know God, dead because I didn't have God's grace. Adam is why I'm dead. I'm dead because of Adam's. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're, you're letting, you're, you're, you're chewing on individual words here, not on scenes. And you're kind of trying to mash every little bit of juice out of that. It's like, it's like a, having a starburst, right? You just keep chewing and chewing and more and more juices, right? So then you might, and then you might come back and go, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your transgressions transgressions you were dead in your transgressions and sins transgressions and sins what's the difference transgressions and sins sins you were dead in your sins you were dead in your transgressions and sins again this is probably like hard for you to imagine right now because it's me doing it out loud but the idea of like taking a line and a person can really if they're moving slow and they might take 15, 20 minutes to do just a couple of verses, right? And sometimes you jump back, as you saw me do. Sometimes you go earlier in the thing. Once you've got a new thing, once you've chewed on a word two verses down, then you come back and chew on one of those first words again. And you're just letting the word speak to you. You're letting the Holy Spirit, who is the inspiration behind this, then pull things up for you as you read it. And it's the kind of thing you could come back to, you know, that same passage a year later, if you do like a, like a one-year Bible or something like that, and you could hit totally different stuff, because you haven't stood still in the last 365 days. Your life has changed. You're hitting new things when you think about dead in your transgressions, right? And sometimes, like I said, you're zooming in on a single word, and sometimes you're looking at the whole sentence. You were dead in your transgressions in which you had once lived, following the age of this world following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit. And again, so I'm going longer and longer, but you know, you could do it in tiny chunks, big chunks, whatever works for your mind and your mouth, right, for you to, to, to do that. That's one good way of dealing with those kind of things. It works great with the Psalms, works good with the prophets, uh, works really good with Paul. Because sometimes when we sit at, I mean, you know what Sunday morning is like. First reading, all right, Exodus, yeah, Moses, get him, get that Pharaoh guy, yeah. And then you get to the second reading, you're like, well, no, then we have responsorial psalm, which sometimes is sung well, sometimes is sung not so great, you know. Sometimes it's long and slow, and you kind of drift off. And luckily that drifting off just keeps on drifting right through Paul in your next little reading, right? You know, Paul's talking to the Romans, and you're like, don't get none of this. And so you just stay in la-la land until, praise to you, Lord G. Oh, I gotta go, stand up. Stand up. Jesus, I like Jesus. I'm doesn't get with this stuff, right? But you miss the Paul entirely. You miss the psalm entirely, right? You know, um, because, man, Paul says a lot in a few lines, and it is coming at you fast, 
right? And you would need time to look at it. You, you want a Bible that has footnotes at the bottom. You want to be like, I don't understand this word, right? I need to understand this better before I can really chew on that, right? But none of us is going to go tell our readers, hey, slow down on the second reading. Take a little longer on that five-paragraph monster, you know? Yeah, especially when Paul uses like an entire paragraph to do one sentence, right? There's a couple of those in the lectionary, and everybody who's ever read is like, <laughs> the word of the Lord, right? That's what happens. Um, but when you take it on your own, this is why you'll hear priests say, read the readings before you get to church, Right? Read them on your own, you know, come early or do it at your house, you know. If you go to your priest and say, hey, can I, can I take a missalette home with me? I'd like to read the readings before, you know, Sunday Mass. If he says no, he is a moron, right? I don't care how, you know, penny-pinching you are in your parish right now. I don't care if you're in debt. If you can't spare 27 cents for a person who wants to spend time reading the scriptures ahead of time— he doesn't know what he's getting or what he's losing there. Like, he doesn't know how good the trade-off is, you know, to get 50 cents, you know, for the sake of being able to have a parishioner who's reading the scriptures ahead of time. And then notice the difference with that. Then not only have you prepared yourself, now when it gets read at Mass, you are not just hearing and thinking about it, you're actually worshiping, right? Plenty of people talk about, oh, the babies are screaming, the, the kids are crying, it's a mess, I can't pray. Mass isn't time to pray. I don't know if you've heard this before, but Mass is not an hour for us to pray. If you want to pray quietly, go make a holy hour. Mass is time to worship. And you know what? For a two-year-old screaming its head off, that's part of its nature. It's worshiping, right? We talk about, you know, the, the, the trees, you know, waving in the wind, the, the river running, the sun shining. That's them giving glory to God. That's what the Psalms are all about. Two-year-old screaming... It's doing what it's supposed to do, right? It's doing its thing. So you can't be mad at it. But if you prayed on it at a different time, if you meditated on it at a different time, one, you weren't worried about if a kid was screaming because you already know what it is. Two, you've already thought through it. It's like, okay, we're just worshiping right now. And three, you're not going to sit back and be like, gosh, I couldn't catch all of that, right? Because you had your own shot at this. And some people might do it after Mass also. That's fine too. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, good, it's a good thing. If you want to get more out of Mass, consider doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, Psalms are hard. Paul is hard. Taking them through in that way, I think you'd be amazed at how much you can get out of there. And some days you might even be like, I wasn't done. I, I, I lotted 20 minutes and I got through like three out of seven lines. I'm going to come back to that tomorrow. And I might find new stuff on the three verses I already did. And then I get the four verses I didn't get to. You might be amazed at how much is in there. And and, and you'll find yourself, because you've really wrung those words for all they're worth, you'll find them coming back to you in days to come, in weeks to come. You'll find yourself thinking about, you were dead in your transgressions. Yeah, that's right, I was, right? Coming back to it in a, in a whole different way. So that's a, that's a, a, a good technique to use uh, if, when you don't have the, the, um, the ability to do the meditation scene. Sometimes you can do both on a really, really good piece of scripture. Not that it's any bad, but you know what I mean. On a really intense piece, you can do both. Like, um, I did an Ignatian retreat last summer, and I was amazed at how much I could get out of the story of the shepherds going to baby Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. I was amazed. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2. I was amazed because I've heard it a billion times, right? I've seen how many kiddie shows about it, right? And... 
and I was able to put myself in the scene, but as I put myself in the scene, I did the slower word ringing approach, the contemplating, and new things were just hitting me. It was amazing as I could like, I mean, I'm there with the shepherds, but I'm like, why are they doing that? Why did it say that? They're standing awake in guard. They're not asleep. They're, like the angel didn't wake them up. I've been picturing this wrong for the last 40 years, right? Like, you start catching things as you go. Um, and even if you try and force them to be like, okay, don't play it like it's a, a book or a movie. Like, in real life, what does this look like? What's it look like when an angel pops up and starts saying stuff in the sky, and then all of a sudden, all his friends show up in a split second, and the sky looks like it's on fire? What's that like, you know? Or, like, every wonder, like, how do they know which house to go to? There's not a star in Luke's story. Luke's story just has him wandering in a town and they find him? How? Is Joseph out, you know, tying up the donkey now that all the hard work's done by, been done by Mary? Right? Like, what's going on? And then you should picture, like, what does that look like? And what's it look like when they leave rejoicing? Do they tell people on the way out? Like, there's no reason to keep it a secret. And somehow, it seems like the people know something's going on because there's a buzz when the, when the Magi reach the town. So you're like, they probably did talk to people. There was no reason for them not to talk to people. They, they just found out that the Savior's been born, right? And it makes for a whole new layer of, of, of contemplation and meditation when you do it that way. So give it a whirl. But the thing is, you've got to set aside time. You've got to pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance at the beginning. I should have said that. Take it through slowly. Take it through even slower the second time. And then at the end, you take what you've got, you thank God for it, and then you say, okay, God, what should I do with this? Should this help me, you know, ponder this mystery throughout this week? Will this help me to realize, man, I have got to make peace with my brother who I've been calling you fool? Um, Is this a place where I need to, um, you know, I need to recognize more that I am dead in my transgressions, you know, and I need to get to confession this week? You know, whatever. You try and make something concrete when you walk out of it. I'm going to give you another little thing that you might uh, find potentially helpful in your life. This is a place where I'm going to take what I've said before, and you're going to make new stuff. So one of the most famous things in Philippians, like I said, Philippians is great. There's more lines that you know you didn't know where they were at that are in there than anywhere else. Um, So, uh, hold on. Yeah. So Philippians 4.8, it's one of the more famous passages. And this is the one that is the whatever passage. Not Paul saying whatever. No, but it's Paul telling you what to think about. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. That is one verse, and you can get nine prayer times out of it. Because what you do is, the first time, you don't meditate on any of them. You get a notebook, and you start making a list of what is true. And you start writing down Grandpa's advice. Thomas Aquinas' proof of God's existence. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. This piece of advice about not licking flagpoles. Right? And you just put them down. Everything you can think of is true. Because he's saying whatever is true. You write as many things down as you can think of that are true. And then you start another section and say, honorable. 
sometimes it's good to have a little thesaurus around because some of these have multiple meanings. You can get more thoughts if you change some of the other ones. Um, so, like, even looking up, like, what falls under honorable, and you're like, okay, yeah, like, I don't know, U.S. Marines, they're honorable, right? Who else is honorable? Like, knights in shining armor. Who else is, who's, who else is honorable? You know, my best friend from high school, that dude for being a high schooler, he had a lot of honor. He was a good dude, right? And you start writing them down, and you, and you write until you run out of stuff, right? This, this whole first prayer time, this, this hour maybe takes, you've got to split it up because you, you're going, you're getting so many ideas. You write out all of them, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, right? And some of them, like, like, what is gracious? Gracious is actually tricky. That's a really good one to get a thesaurus for and look at different meanings of gracious so you can figure out, like, what your options are. And now you've got eight words with five to 25 words underneath them. Next time you come back, next time you're making your weekly holy hour, pull out that notebook and just look through the true or the gracious or the lovely, right? And just look through those and match your meditation. Take those and chew on them. Why do I picture that as lovely? Why, why do I think of that specific picture of the Blessed Mother as lovely? Why do I think that this Christmas hymn is lovely? Why do I think that that national park is lovely? And, and what you're doing is basically what the psalmist does, where he, the psalmist let things hit them, and then they write a whole song about, you know, the glory of God, or the mercy of God, or the, the providence of God in choosing David, right? You know, that's what you're doing. You're letting your, your brain turn into a poet, really, as you, as you chew on that and make your own little psalms in your head as you go. Try it. And if you like that one, you can do the same things with uh, everybody's favorite wedding, hom- or wedding uh, reading, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Everybody knows it. You've heard it at 80% of your weddings, Right? You can even just zoom in on just the most famous part, that love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, love is not jealous, right? You can zoom in on that and just take those, take those adjectives, right, and, and do the same thing with those, right? What's it look like to be kind? Boom, 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 boom. What's it look like to be not jealous? Boom, 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 right? And you just make those lists. And then you got, there's like 15 of them. You can come back for weeks on end coming back to those ideas right there. What we're doing here is you're trying to get yourself some new wineskins, right? Jesus tells us that you can't put new wine into old wineskins. They burst, right? So you're trying to get in your heart and in your mind new wineskins so you can receive new wine. So God can give you fresh stuff. He's, he's dying to pour it out on you, right? I mean, we know the abundance, the superabundance of wine that, that is given in John chapter 2, right? God wants to pour out that abundance on you, but you got to give him space, which means he needs some time. He needs some of your hard drive space up here, and then he needs you to join in to create new stuff. It's wine that replicates into more wine. It's, it's like a, an extra miracle there. So there's, there's a ton of things to, to be pulled out of there. And as you go, things that you thought you knew will, will hit you in, in new ways, um, I don't know how many of you are readers and lectors at your churches, but this might actually be really fruitful for you as a reader, because as you do this, you'll find you might want to change how you read certain passages. Um, I'm a priest, so I mostly read the gospel out loud to people, so I notice myself doing this more with the gospel than other places, but other places would do this. Um, One recommendation, if you are a lector or reader, read like you're reading out loud to a bunch of kindergartners. That is being insanely slow, 
definitely doesn't mean loud. There are plenty loud. It's the, it's the people in the nursing home that you have to be loud for. But think of how you read a kid's book and how you purposely hit words in a certain way that you want to enunciate. And you put tone in there, right? You say, you know, you know, the little bear was sad. Now, you don't have to overdo it. Your job is not to be a drama queen up there at the pulpit. But you might be amazed once you start reading them ahead of time how much different it changes. Again, I, I'm, I read the gospel the most out loud. So for me, certain things hit me. At funerals, we all the time have John chapter 14 at the Last Supper where Thomas is, is saying, you know, Jesus says, where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas, who we know as doubtful, but honestly, we should see him as logical, honest, and direct, right? That's really what Thomas is. Thomas, being logical, honest, and direct, the only guy who probably would, like, bring supplies and have directions of any place the apostles were going, right? Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like, when you read that, that should be, there should be a a little bit of bite to that. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way, right? And how does Jesus respond? Thomas I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have all, thanks to, you know, greeting cards and everything else under the sun, we've all read, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But that makes no sense given the line before it. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? If you take time and soak that in and really appreciate Thomas's itch, then you're going to understand that Jesus is saying, Thomas, I am the way. And now I'm going to change the metaphor slightly. And I'm the truth. Change the more. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right? But he answered his question. He didn't skip his question. He answered it and then came back. Something very similar happens um, in chapter 11 of the same Gospel of John, right? When Jesus is talking to Martha. And Jesus says, don't worry, Martha. He'll rise. And, and she says, I know, I know, I know he'll rise again on the last day at the resurrection, right? Martha is showing like, I know, Jesus, you're right, you're right, it's okay. And you can, you can hear in her that she's trying to keep her stuff together, right? Her brother is dead, she's alone, Mary's back at the house, she's meeting Jesus in the middle of the road, who knows who's standing around, right? And she's like, I know, I know, he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And you can almost like picture like Jesus like catching her cheeks and saying, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Like, like he, he's, he has set her up for her own act of faith so that he can even add more to it, just like he did with Thomas. By the way, Martha, if you haven't figured it out, is the female Peter in the same way that Mary is the female John, right? John is the apostle of love, and that's Mary. Peter is the apostle of faith, and that's Martha. What's Martha's very next line after that? She, he asked, do you, do you believe this? Do you believe I'm the, the resurrection life? He said, she says, Lord, we have come to believe you know, that, that, that this is who you are. It's, it's almost a perfect copy of what Peter says at the end of John chapter 6. You know, Lord, to who, who else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Martha is saying, Lord, we have come to believe that you are the Christ, the one who is sent into the world, right? Amazing parallels of Martha and, and Peter, Mary, and John right there. So I guess what I'm saying is don't be afraid to dive, dive in even in places you don't know everything. The Holy Spirit will guide you, but take your time. Chew on it as best you can. Bring a pencil. Mark it up. Have lots of colors. Have your Bible be covered in different things as you think different things. Like, ooh, that's a, a Eucharist thought. Oh, that's a cool Old Testament connection. Great. Whatever it takes for you to get fodder out there that you can come back to 
is great. And some days you might feel like I'm a little more academic here. And some days you might feel like I'm a little more contemplative here. Great. It's all part of God's gifts to you. Your soul, your heart, your mind, your intellect, all those things. God will use all of those so that you can get your, your thoughts out of there. And then your prayer is so much easier because you've seen God face-to-face in Scripture. You've heard him speak in your ear through the Holy Spirit, and now you're living it in your heart, right? Scripture is not a piece of revelation. Jesus is all of revelation. And when you receive him in the Eucharist or hear him in the Scripture, you're getting the whole Jesus, that's the answer to, to huh, is it scripture or tradition? No, it's Jesus. And Jesus comes to us in different ways. So soak those in. Let them tie into each other. Let them speak in different ways and, and trust that the Holy Spirit does want you to be able to think and pray and meditate on these amazing, amazing gifts in the Holy Scriptures.